Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the bonus episode and the second annual Remembering September 11th episode. Now, if you haven't heard the episodes from a year ago to the day, I recommend you go back and check those out. There's two of them, actually. One is from a man who made a song about the events, and the other is another bonus episode. My name is Tessa Morrow. Thank you for tuning in to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Nobody move. Nobody do anything stupid. Everybody will be okay. The voice that you just heard was from a coward from one of the terrorists of 9-11. And I'm going to rewind a little bit. In 1970, the World Trade Center was built, costing $1.1 billion. Today, you guys, that's around $8.17 billion. In 1993, the World Trade Center was under attack when a 1,200-pound bomb explodes in the parking garage. This incident would kill six people and injure well over 1,000. One of the terrorists involved in the 93 bombing also took part of this tragedy we all know as 9-11. After the 93 bombing, Sirius, a canine bomb-sniffing pup, was stationed at the World Trade Center, where he remained employed happily until September 11, 2001. He was among those that were killed. Four planes, 19 cowardly terrorists, three known targets, one unknown target, thousands of innocents murdered, well over 25,000 injured. Over 3,050 children lost either one parent or became orphaned due to the terrorist attacks. And as I say these words, I just have intense goosebumps and chills like 21 years later and it's just we're still feeling that immediate heartbreak right 17 babies were born after their father's deaths never knowing their father I can't even imagine me and my father were so close and I just I can't imagine 11 unborn babies die with their pregnant mothers over 200 people jumped from the towers they are understandably not considered suicides, but murdered, as they would not have done that if it weren't for the events that were taking place that horrific day. Now, after American Airlines Flight 11 strikes the North Tower, people in the South Tower, they're trying to evacuate, right? I mean, that's just your your nature. You want to get out. You want to go, get to safety, But they are told via announcements, hey, stay put. We're not going anywhere. Just stay here and you'll be okay. Well, some try to leave anyways, and they are actually sent back by security guards. I can't help but wonder, and of course, nobody knew this was going to happen. 
everybody thought at this point, this isn't a terrorist attack. This is just a plane crash that went horrifically wrong. Couldn't have gone any worse, right? Why wouldn't people be safe in the South Tower, right? I can't help but think if people were evacuated and left, yeah, there would have still been a lot of deaths in that tower, from that tower, but how many would have lived? How many would have survived? How many would still be here today? Now, many thought that they would be okay. Bradley Fetchett leaves his mother a voicemail. Hey mom, it's Brad. I just wanted to call and let you know that a plane crashed into World Trade Center. We're, we're fine. We're in World Trade Center 2. I'm obviously alive over here, but obviously it was a very scary experience. You're welcome to give a call. I think we'll be here all day. Just moments after he leaves this message, the South Tower is struck and Bradley's office is above the impact zone. Him along with everyone around him, they are unable to escape. The voicemail I read can actually be heard at the 9-11 Memorial Museum Historical Exhibition. 102 minutes after the strike, the first strike, both towers come collapsing down unforgivingly to the earth and on top of several people. And it took 10 seconds for Tower 2 to collapse. And seven hours after the first plane strikes, and five hours after the collapse of the North and South Towers, after burning for several hours, seven World Trade Center, which had already been fully evacuated at this point, thank God, collapses as well. Now, due to everybody leaving, obviously, there were no fatalities. Now, when Flight 77 hits the Pentagon, it had been so badly damaged that during the impact, it was the first black box in 40 years of aviation history that yielded no viable data or information whatsoever, not one ounce. Fires at Ground Zero, they burned for 99 days before it was finally able to be fully extinguished on December 19th. The statistics are staggering and excruciatingly painful. 2,763 killed in New York, 189 killed in the Pentagon, and 44 on Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. More specifics, the New York City Fire Department loses 343 firefighters, nearly half the number of on-duty deaths in the department's 100-year history. The NYPD, they lose 23 of their officers, Port Authority Police Department, well, they lose 37. Several companies stationed at the World Trade Center lost countless employees, precious employees, precious lives. Cantor Fitzgerald alone suffers, I believe, the biggest number, 658. Marsha McLennan, 295. Aon Corporation, 175. Fiduciary Trust International, 87. Fred Alger Management lost all 35 employees that were there that day. Windows on the World lost all staff there that day, 72 employees and at least 91 guests. Morgan Stanley, 10. Sandler, O'Neill, and Partners had 88 employees total. 
67 unaccounted for. Washington Group, 40 missing. These are just a handful of the companies, you guys, while some lost people to the attacks, some miraculously experienced no losses. I mean, no employee losses. I'm sure they may have lost friends or, you know, other people or family or whatever, but no employees. The corporation service company employees, all 108, safely evacuate from the South Tower. They were at the 60th floor when the plane hits, when the second plane hit. Hyundai, securities, all nine, will they survive? The fireman fund insurance company employees, 190, they escape safely. Other companies include Lava Trading, 35. Oppenheimer Funds, 598. Thermo Electron, 35. New York Stock Exchange, over 300. And again, you guys, just remember, these are people that survived. That uh, companies that didn't experience employee losses. American Bureau of Shipping, 16. Friends Ivory and Syme, 12. Network Plus, 46. IT Consultancy, over 200. AT&T, 11. Bill Betts and Wash, 30. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you, can you see God about 4,000 feet, about 5 East Europe right now? Looks like he's... Yeah, hi, Sam. You think I, look, is he the same for the building also? He's descending really quick, too, yeah. Well, that's 2,500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like, like one, one sweep. That's, that's another situation. They had no clue. No clue. Quite the fucking situation. Like, I, I always think of 9-11. I always think of the people that that were killed, the people that lost people, the people that were injured, that barely escaped with their lives. I, I you know... N- Everybody all around the world mourned for 9-11 and still continue to do so. A minimum of $10 billion in structural damages. Well over $16.3 billion today. The cost to clean up cost about $750 million. That's $1.22 billion today. 1.5 million hours went into clearing 1.8 million tons of debris, which was collected from ground zero. And it was completed on May 30th, 2002, 261 days later. During the cleanup process, 144 wedding rings and 437 watches were among the recovered items. 1,337 vehicles were crushed due to the collapse of the towers. 91 of those were FDNY vehicles. Over 100 K-9 search and rescue helped search for survivors. 18 people are pulled out from the rubble alive. Two of those people, they were Port Authority police officers who were buried under 30 feet of debris and rubble where they remained for well over 24 hours. A movie is made about these two officers, starring my boy Nicolas Cage, titled World Trade Center. I have yet to see it. He's I love that guy, but it's like movies like that, my heart just hurts. And knowing what's going to happen, it's just like really hard to see. But seeing that these two officers did escape that, I might grow a pair and watch it someday. Now, on September 11th, Canada, they take in 255 diverted flights from the United States. They also fed them. 
the Salvation Army serves 3,231,681 meals at Ground Zero from September 11th to May 30th. 251,370 units of blood, well, they are donated to America's blood centers, nearly three times the usual or ordinary amount. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention tests the air at Ground Zero 1,174 times from September 18th to October 4th. Again, that number, 1,174. And it is not surprising that out of all the people who perished that day, that a handful were born on that day many moons earlier. In fact, we have six victims, at least six, who had September 11th birthdays. They probably woke up, hey, it's my birthday, man, you know? Like some people, it's like, oh God, a year older, whatever. But inside, you're looking forward to that cake. But it's like, you know, you, you have plans. You're going to see your family. You're going to see your friends. You might go to a movie. You might go have some drinks. You're going to have cake. You're going to do this and that. You're not thinking, today I'm going to be brutally murdered by terrorists. Johan Luis Carpio Batista just turned 24 that day, and he was a cook for Windows on the World. It was his day off, but he got called in to work for a fellow employee. So he was like, dude, shouldn't have even been there that day, right? But that just goes to say what kind of person he was, where he would actually work for a fellow employee on his birthday. I've done it before. I've worked for my fellow employees before. You know, crap happens. Life happens. Whether you're sick or an emergency comes up, you got to do what you got to do. That's fine. More money in your pocket. But on your birthday, oh God, it's just like, oh man. Michael Berkeley, he had just turned 38 that day. He had recently just founded his very own brokerage. Amelia Fields. She just turned 46 on that day, and it was her second day working at the Pentagon. FDNY Lieutenant Francis Giamona, he just turned 40 that day. The last his wife heard from him was when he called her on his way to the Burning Towers. Michael LaFort, he just turned 39 that day. His child would be born two months after his untimely death. And Anna Marie Riccobini. She just turned 58 that day. She was the billing supervisor at a law firm and had just recently fought what many would consider the biggest battle of somebody's life, breast cancer. And she beat it. On December 11th, 2001, 48 countries hold ceremonies to commemorate the victims of 9-11. And the list grows from ground zero related cancers and other illnesses. People 21 years later are still dying from the effects of 9-11. Over 1,100 people who either lived in the area or worked at ground zero clearing debris have been diagnosed with cancer asbestos, COPD, asthma, lung inflammation, and other type of respiratory issues. Today, September 11th, remains the largest terrorist attack in American history. 
So, okay. On my Facebook page, remembering 9-11, I like to put info about the victims. Yes, they all died the same way by cowardly, pathetic hands. But they all had lives, friends, hobbies, interests, quirks, and so on. And I want to kind of talk about some of those people. So Roselle, the guide dog, she actually led her blind owner and several other people down 78 flights of stairs. That's incredible. And she actually brings him to a friend's house who lived nearby. Roselle, good job, my girl. The survivor, he actually writes a book about his harrowing escape. And it's amazing. I actually have it. I bought it several years ago, and I've read it a handful of times. And each time I read it, I'm just in awe. Like, he goes into deep detail about this book. And unfortunately, I don't have it with me at the moment. It's back in North Carolina on my bookshelf. I wish I had it so I could read a couple little inserts because it is truly amazing. But you know what? I will have that book with me next anniversary. No doubt about that. Now, Robert Elseth. He calls his wife from the Pentagon, sharing with her that planes had hit the towers and to stay home, not to go anywhere until things are figured out and calmed down. Robert, he had no clue, no inkling, who would, that American Airlines Flight 77 was headed right for the Pentagon. And moments after the call was ended, he was killed. John Chapura was a survivor and a warrior in life. That was his nature. He survives one of the most tragic terrorist attacks while he was corporal in the Marine Corps. His barracks in Beirut was bombed October 23, 1983. I was exactly one year and one day old. He lost 241 Marines, soldiers, and friends that horrendous day. His family feared the worst when he was missing, but on the third day, he finally reaches out to them. When three days went by after September 11th, they prayed, they prayed he would reach out, I'm sure. But sadly, he never did. He was a Marine, a firefighter, a police officer with the NYPD for 12 years. And he had graduated firefighter training in 1998. Edna Cintron, she was from Puerto Rico. She is often referred to as the waving woman as she was captured in a photograph waving for help after American Airlines Flight 11 slammed into the North Tower, the building burning around her. You could just see this tiny little frame and her hand up in the air, her, her arm waving. Can't even imagine what was going through her head right there. Michael Edwards, he was the kind of guy, okay, that when he saw anybody in a bad mood, the managing director at Sandler O'Neill and Partners would tell them to snap out of it, and then he would shoot them with one of his amazing, contagious smiles that you just couldn't help and go, okay, I'm done, you know? Pamela Shu. She was born in Korea and had moved to the United States when she was just two years old. She was just a little thing. She was vice president and U.S. equities trader at Cantor Fitzgerald. It was a stressful job, but she was always happy. She was always a very happy-go-lucky person. She was one of those people, I'm sure, that you just like kind of like were around her and you couldn't help but be happy. And I've had that happen too, where I like my dad had the steakhouse and I worked with this girl 
Her name was Jill. And she was just so happy and bubbly. And I just like, I'd go in in a crummy mood. And it was just like, oh, okay, never mind. She was stoked because she had recently moved to a new location, which allowed her to get to work earlier. People even heard Pamela saying, I can get to work at 6.30 a.m. now. She was stoked. Forget sleeping in. I'm going to work. Michael Frugio came from a coal mining town in Pennsylvania. His wife admits that they used to fight because he would always say hello to strangers. She said, I'm a New Yorker. You can't do that here. But the insurance broker at Aon didn't just that. He couldn't help himself. And I know how it is because I... You know, when I lived in New Mexico and Colorado and you're on these small dirt roads, you can't help but wave at people when they go by. And then when I go to other places like North Carolina or California or, yes, New York, you know, I wave and people look at me like I just slapped their mama. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm just waving. (laughs) But his wife is right, okay? Michael's wife is right. You can't just do that in certain places. They, They look down on that, but... I'm with Michael. You just smile and wave, you know. As his obituary nicely put it, he'd have breakfast with the chief executives at the World Trade Center, and then he would make small talk with the secretaries. And, in fact, after he died, his wife, she looked through his phone book, and inside were the numbers of several janitors. Those were his friends. Denise Conley, she served in the Navy for four years, She loved karate. She was lovable and feisty. Now, Denise, she was a security guard at the World Trade Center. And one time a supervisor told her, kidding around, I think, you don't have what it takes to be a firefighter. She proved the super wrong when she took and passed the exams to become a New York City firefighter. Robert Ferris, he had such a big heart. Okay. And he wanted to buy a home near an orphanage in Haiti. After Hurricane George came through, he went to visit his son, who was a doctor, and he helped by volunteering at a nearby Roman Catholic orphanage. The kiddos, oh my god, they adored him, and they called him Papa Bob. His son worked at the ICU at St. Vincent's Hospital. He was on duty that day, and he saw the billowing smoke. Bobby, you won't believe what I am seeing, father says to son. Minutes later, the second plane hits. He prays that an ambulance will come with his father in it to be taken to help him or to be reunited. And that ambulance, well, it never comes. Patricia Kolbener was a secretary at Marsha McLennan. She absolutely loved Halloween and dressing up. Her favorite was being a vampire. Before her death, Her son had his heart set on being a pumpkin, but after she died, he wanted to be a firefighter so he could save his mommy. Like, oh my God, gut-wrenching. William Feehan, he was a living legend. He was 71 years old. 71 years old, this made him the oldest first responder to be killed, to be murdered in the terrorist attacks. He held every rank in the department starting in 1959 probationary firefighter, uh, firefighter for Division 3, Ladder 3, Lieutenant, Chief of Department, Department Fire Commissioner, and First Deputy Fire Commissioner. Utterly impressive. 
his father before him was a firefighter. He was a firefighter and his son became a firefighter. He was so excruciatingly proud of his son. Now, I didn't see his son's name in the list of victims, so I'm praying that maybe he wasn't working that day and he survived. He was in the army during the Korean War and enjoyed traveling and visiting Civil War battlefields. Robert Fazio, he was a police officer who loved giving a lending hand to his community, his family, his friends, his neighbors. Whether it was helping with a house project, working on a boat, car, or motorcycle, he loved helping people. It was his nature to do that. I mean, you can pick somebody better to be a police officer, right? You're this caring person. You love helping people. Makes you feel good. He served with the NYPD for 17 years. He loved babysitting his nephew and his friend's kiddos, who lovingly referred to him as the Tickle Monster. Captain Joseph Farley. He was 21 years old when he met his future bride, and the first moment he saw her, he knew it was love. Like Cupid's in the building, people. There was one thing stopping him. He was 21 years old. She was 17 years old. He waits till her birthday to ask her out on a date. He treated her like a queen. He was a pure gentleman. He would hold the doors open for her, pull her chair out. He would help around the house. He would do those dishes. Honey, you just made a gorgeous, delicious dinner. Let me do those dishes. He would go outside in the freezing cold in the mornings to turn his wife's car on. And so when she got on it and it was nice and ready for her and warmed up and just so many other things. He was a 22-year vet with the New York City Fire Department, Engine Company 4. His wife and him had served as foster parents for over a decade to crack-addicted babies. And I must say that last year, on 9-11, as usual, I was busy posting victims and their obituaries and their pictures on my page. And you know, I have people comment on them from time to time, like them maybe, sad face here, well, at one point, I post Nancy Farley, her obituary, when a woman in my group shares a phenomenal thing with me. And I have to say that I actually, she posted this all on my page for all to see, you know. And so I asked her in a message if I could share this story on today's episode and she didn't get back to me but you know how it is on social media when you're not connected connected as friends even though she's on my group page you know it takes there's been times where I'll look in my messages and a lot of them are in spam people asking me about different things and it's I'm like wow I feel like I just totally ignored this person for two years and you know and so I don't know if she saw it but so because of that I really am only using the victim's name Nancy Farley. I'm not going to use the woman who shared this amazing story with me. And if in the future she does say, yes, it's okay, I will give her name credit because it's definitely deserved. And it made my day when I read this. So anyways, she wrote a comment saying this, thoughts and prayers for Nancy's family. My husband is a firefighter from West Virginia and volunteered in the rescue efforts at Ground Zero. While walking to his shift one night, a young girl handed him this letter. 
He has kept it in safekeeping for the past 20 years. He often wonders about Raquel. And again, I'm not using her full name, which was in the letter. Uh, Raquel, if this message finds you, my husband would love to connect. God bless. So she shared the letter on my page, and it was well written. And I'm leaving out details again, like her full name, her high school, etc. Dear Rescue Worker, Hello, my name is Raquel, and I am 16 years old. I don't mean to take time out of your rescue search, but I must tell you one thing. Thank you. And she used all caps and thank you, several exclamation points, underlined it several times. Thank you for going out there and trying to help everyone in need. Thank you for trying to find my Aunt Nancy. Thank you for lending us your strength and courage. It's because of all of you and our faith that we, the families, the survivors, Americans, find what peace we do in such times. I want you to know that I will light a candle and say a prayer for you every night. You all are true angels. You all hold a very special place in my heart. I love you. Love always, Raquel. Like, oh my God. Oh, what a sweet, sweet girl. Such a kind thing to do. Showing her respect and admiration and appreciation for those searching for the missing. Later that day, this woman shared with me amazing news. And again, this was exactly one year ago today. And that news is, is that due to the graces of social media, don't know if it was on my page or somebody else's page, but either way, due to social media, this woman's husband, the firefighter, and this girl, Raquel, Nancy's niece, they reunited 20 years to the day of the attacks. I mean, when I was reading this, because she gave me an update several hours later, I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. However they got reconnected, I just, it warmed my heart. And on the 20th anniversary, mind you, Now, before we end this, I would like, we already talked about some of the victims, just a mere tiny handful, as there are so many, as we all know. But I would like to talk about survivors and people who were supposed to be at the World Trade Center, but weren't because, well, you're going to find out. Michael Lomonaco, he was the culinary director of Windows on the World. He had a busted pair of reading glasses and had an appointment at Lens Crafters at noon. But he was ahead of schedule that morning, so he decided to take a detour to work and stop along the way with hopes that they could possibly get him in earlier than his noon appointment. Now, you see, Windows on the World was located on the 106th and 107th floors. They served up to over a 1,000 people daily, 
So Michael was a totally busy guy. He wanted to get it done earlier so he could, you know, continue on with his work and not have to leave and, well, you know, what have you. I've been there, done that. No one survived on those floors. He surely would have perished if it weren't for his reading glasses. Janelle Guzman McMillan was the last person to be pulled out alive from the World Trade Center rubble. She was trapped for 27 hours. Her and her colleagues were evacuated, and while on the 13th floor, the tower just collapses on top of them. Out of all the people around her, including her colleagues, she was the lone survivor. 18 people escaped from a floor above, from where the plane hit. Brian Clark, he was one of those people. He stops to see Stanley Pramnath, who had been pinned under debris. Now, Brian was able to manage to wrap his arms around Stanley and get him out of the tower. Tom Canavan was a first union brokerage firm buried alive when the first tower falls on him. He was saved when a concrete wall falls over him, which creates kind of like a safe pocket, if you will, in the massive mountainous rubble that was formerly the World Trade Center. Captain J. Jonas and five of his firefighters from Ladder Company 6 were leaving a search and rescue mission in the North Tower right after the South Tower collapses. They stopped to help a woman, Josephine, who was a bookkeeper. She had fallen and she was unable to get herself back up, and they, they were able to help her. Those men, they get her to safety, and shortly afterwards, the North Tower collapses. Captain Jonas, his five firefighters, and Josephine, thankfully, all survive. Lauren Manning, she arrives for work at the North Tower just moments before the very first impact. As she enters the elevator, she is met with a fireball and is burned over 80% of her body and spends two months in a medically induced coma. Her recovery was a miracle, and it shocked the doctors. Brian Birdwell. He survives the Pentagon attack to become Texas state senator. And at the time of the terrorist attacks, he was a lieutenant colonel in the United States. He suffered severe burns over 60% of his body and was the lone survivor in the E-ring at the crash site. He was rewarded the Purple Heart in 2004. Now, since becoming Texas state senator, he has been re-elected three times. Sarah Rudder, she was a U.S. Marine at the Pentagon, and on that day, she was actually waiting for her promotion ceremony. This was supposed to be a very special day for Sarah. She escapes injury that day and helps other people out. Well, two days later, she goes back to the Pentagon to help remove debris and to help remove the bodies. Well, in the process of doing this, Somehow, she gets her ankle stuck, and it's crushed beneath a concrete barrier. Now, throughout the years, she had several reconstructive surgeries, and ultimately, they cannot save her leg, and it was amputated several years after the attacks in 2014. Amazingly enough, in 2016, she competes in the International Invictus Games for Wounded and Injured Servicemen and Women, and she wins six medals. These two cops that were trapped and pulled out that the World Trade Center movie was based out of with Nicolas Cage, 
Will Jimeno, he was a rookie officer with Port Authority Police Department. He rushes to the World Trade Center with 20 fellow officers, 20. They are buried in the South Tower debris. He is one of two officers, and again, 20 were with him, to be pulled out alive. Two, two officers. He spends several weeks at the ICU and had to have 13 surgeries. John McLaughlin, sergeant with Port Authority and is trapped with Will Jimeno. The sergeant tries to send a final message, not to his own family, but to Will's wife via the radio, who happened to be heavily pregnant. He asks to fulfill her husband Will's wishes in naming their unborn child Olivia. They are both buried for 22 hours. Sergeant McLaughlin was in a medically induced coma for six weeks, and he returns to Ground Zero four months later to witness the removal of the final column. Holly Winter was supposed to meet two of her dearest friends, the best of friends, at the World Trade Center that day for a lunch. You know, they I don't think they had seen each other for a while, and one was going to be their own business, and then one was going to fly in, and I think, like, it was going to be, like, this huge thing. And Holly was excited. She was going to see her friends, right? So she's telling her mom about her plans, and her mom, for some reason, is just like, don't go, sweetheart. Something doesn't feel right about this. I don't think you should go. Now, I'm sure her mother didn't think it was going to be 9-11 big, but she just... You know, I've had those instincts too where something doesn't feel right and then when I don't do it, I feel like, oh wow, I'm so glad I didn't go because look what happened. But again, nobody thinks that thousands are going to die. And so she listens to her mother. She doesn't go, but she is on a, I don't know, yeah, she's on a phone call with her friends as they're meeting up for lunch and they're all having fun and laughing and talking and reminiscing and at one point, Holly's just kind of like, okay, guys, I got to go. You guys enjoy your lunch. I'm there in spirit. Have a great day. You know, just like, I don't want your food to get cold. So she gets off the phone. And a few minutes later, the plane hits and her friends die shortly afterwards. Brenda Christensen always went to the World Trade Center for a week each September, filled with meetings and conferences and what have you. Well, she never missed a single week until 2001 when she went on vacation. She was, I believe, going to Jamaica, but she was en route there and, you know, was waiting to fly out from New Orleans. And she was in the French Quarter when she sees the horrific news. In her words, I felt like I missed a lightning bolt. James Stafford, he was always on time. But on that particular day, he was running late, like about 20 minutes late. Now, you know, 20 minutes, not too bad, but uh, it saved his life. He turns on the TV to see the nightmare unfolding before his very eyes. Crystal Tatum, she was a CEO and president of Crystal Clear Communications, and she was engaged. She discovers things about her soon-to-be husband, and it was concerning to her, and heartbreakingly, she breaks off the engagement. And she would have been at work if it weren't, for her being at home, mending her broken heart. In her words, she said, Going through a broken engagement was painful, but it was a twist of fate that possibly saved my life. George Keith, he had a brand new BMW. 
and the day before the attacks, he was driving, and suddenly the gear shifts into the first gear by itself, mind you. This is a new car, Beamer. Concerned, he makes an appointment for the following morning uh, at 7 o'clock. He's hoping that, okay, just a few minutes it'll take, and then I could get to work on time. But the mechanics, I, I, don't, I still don't get this because it, the appointment was for 7 a.m., right? But the mechanics refused to work until 8. Very, very annoying, but I mean, again, he wouldn't have known this at the time, but this saved his life. Those mechanics not wanting this to start till 8 a.m. Because literally, I think I read it took four minutes for them to fix whatever had to be fixed. If he would have been at, he would have left there at 7.05, 7.10 at the latest, and he would have been at work. He would have been there when catastrophe strikes. So I, I, I thought it was important to share some of the victims who died and then some of the survivors, the people who got out, because there are so many people who died, but there are so many people who survived as well, who escaped death, who were either supposed to be there and weren't, or, you know, were there and somehow miraculously was able to escape. Never forget. Never September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. I will continue to think of these people, those killed, the ones that survived, the families. You are all warriors. Did you enjoy this week's episode? This week's special bonus episode, mind you. Listen to the others. They all are amazing. Haven't heard every single one yet? Check out any of the podcast platforms like Podcast Republic, Spotify, Player FM, CastBox, wherever you may roam to listen to your other podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Be sure to stop by tomorrow for the newest episode. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I will see your face again, baby. I love you.